Welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about turnip-sized bigots so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Go Settle Watchmen by Harper Lee. Joining us to discuss this dubious draft are Jennifer Davis and Dan Schultz from Bandcamp, a comedy podcast where they read banned books out loud one chapter at a time and try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. Hello, Jennifer. Hey, how's it going? And hi, Dan. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah. yeah. Looking forward to it. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so if you're listening to this episode when it comes out, uh, it is uh, an observance commonly known as Band Books Week in the U.S. Um, and this is a poorly named festivity that many librarians such as myself uh, keep trying to advocate to have the name changed to uh, something like Freedom to Read Week, because the problem when you put up like a Band Books Week display at your library is people come in and they're like, why are you banning these books? And we're like, no, we're not. We're trying to call attention to the fact that other people are trying to ban these books. And then it's like a whole thing. And so if you're not familiar, most libraries, most teachers are not actively trying to ban books. Most challenges come from patrons or parents. And uh, many of the books that are frequently considered to be banned are you know, we don't have um, complete book bans the way that you might in, you know, fully fascist countries. Um, (laughs) We, you know, it's more like it will be removed from a school and then you could still get it at the public library maybe, but that's still not great because a lot of kids can't come to the public library and it just creates a really hostile environment, especially because, uh, you know, t- To Kill a Mockingbird, which uh, if, if you want to hear about that in, in greater depth, uh, go listen to Dan and Jennifer's podcast, Bandcamp. But uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about depth, the depth in that sentence. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, To Kill a Mockingbird is, is a frequently um, banned and challenged book, um, mostly for uh, the language, but... Uh, a lot of the banned and challenged books in the U.S. are um, more so because they're about queer and trans characters, mm-hmm. especially kids uh, and penguins. That's yeah. right. <laughs> we we really need to pay attention to what those penguins are doing with their love life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going to convert all of our children into penguins, and we slippery slope, <laughs> slippery <yeah>. slope. <laughs> Simply cannot. So, and it is interesting because, you know, we're here at Worst Bestsellers and we're like, some books are bad, but you know what? I celebrate your freedom to read those books. You you absolutely can go out and read all the horny fairy books you want. And that's great. And God bless America and God bless whatever country Sarah J. Mass made up that I forget the name of. <laughs> Well, as a librarian, do you actually, have you ever had to deal with any of the, I don't know, they're like just an army of Karens, right? Not even an army. It's like 11 Karens that are the majority of the uh, loud mouths that go in and we can't have this. Like, have you ever had to personally deal with any of these people? So in the libraries where I've worked, I've been fortunate enough never to have face a formal challenge 
where a patron like fills in the form, fills out a form and like brings it to the trustees and like, da 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 da. Like we have had a couple challenges at the school system in the town where I work. And we have had some sort of informal challenges where people just sort of come and want to like raise a little fuss at you for having a pride month display or whatever. But Oh really? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And like we're in a blue state, so people are like, oh, it's fine here. But like, no, there's like bigots everywhere. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. Turn turnip size and bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I just I I don't want to like hijack something, but on our second season of our podcast, we read uh, Fahrenheit 451, and, mm. and we ended that one with uh, an interview. Well, not with Ray Bradbury. We played a clip from an interview with Ray Bradbury, and he was talking specifically to librarians, and he said he would often get letters from you know librarian saying we don't know what to do they banned your book and we have to take the books off the shelf and we don't know what to do and i and he i thought he came up with a really good answer but i don't actually know like you just mentioned there are forms and there are trustees and there's like a whole process but he basically would always tell the librarians like uh just put the books back on the shelves and no one's going to notice and then <laughs> down the road when somebody says oh, why is this book here oh i don't know yeah, that's weird. That shouldn't be here. Can't keep uh, new ideas from uh, kids. Let's take this away and then just put it back on the shelf. Do you think, is that like a feasible thing? Can you just do that or would you get fired? Well, I think it really depends. And I do think that that the times have slightly changed now. What with the internet, like it's, it's great for us and for being able to do a podcast, but it also does allow the like moms for liberty and whatnot to like really organize and like for example search an online catalog um mm-hmm. and you know make their shitty little mm-hmm. facebook groups and i mean there have been cases where librarians like fought back against challenges or fought uh against challenges to like staff members and then ended up like losing their whole funding from the town and like Mm. there have been libraries that like fully closed over this issue uh which sucks for you know it sucks for the whole community that like a handful of bigots can ruin the library for everybody but in some cases they can and they do have that power unfortunately so I do want to transition a little bit into, so this book, Ghost at a Watchman, is very controversial, not necessarily in the way that most of the currently banned and challenged books are controversial. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I do think, like, it has been officially challenged, I think, also for the same reason as To Kill a Mockingbird, which is, like, liberal usage of the N-word, which we will not say out loud in our podcast, because we don't want to. Yeah, we didn't say it on ours either. Yeah. We just said yeah. N-word, so. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't mean on our podcast as compared to yours, but I just oh, no, I as know. compared I'm to, just... like, the book. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Um, so, but it, you know, yes, it, it has been, it has been challenged, but not at, say, like, the level of, like, genderqueer. But it, it also is incredibly controversial because of the method in which it was published. And if you have somehow, um erased this period of our literary history from your mind congratulations one of my friends when i mentioned i had to listen to this to them was like oh i forgot that book existed and how i wish i could live in their brain (laughs) or i mean some of our listeners are younger and like this whole this was 2015 so they might not really have been like aware 
Well, for um, me, I wasn't even paying attention back then. It's not even 10 years ago. And um, the whole crux of the situation we're in now, it's like, it's forcing people to pay attention. It's forced me to pay attention. And so like, I just wasn't even paying attention. It wasn't, I, I knew the book came out, but like, I, I don't know, like the controversy and I still don't because I didn't look into it. Oh. Could you, can you like in, enlighten me on, on that? Love to. Okay. Well, so Harper Lee, when this book came out, I believe she was 88 years old. And okay, so Harper, like Harper Lee, author of To Kill a Mockingbird and this book, To Kill a Mockingbird won the Pulitzer Prize, hugely successful, um, you know, very widely selling, blah, blah, blah. And so people kind of were like, Harper, we want more books from you. Harper, what are you going to write next? And she was like, oh, no, thank you. I'm just going to like live off my Mockingbird money and like, retire from public life and I don't like the attention that this has brought me and I don't like any of this and I have enough money goodbye for decades and then when she was um, much older and living in assisted living care suddenly her agent was like oh I, I found this uh, manuscript to kill a mockingbird or I mean to ghost out a watchman why don't we just uh, go ahead and publish this and some said that Harper Lee was not able to consent to having this published and that she would never want to. And the agent and some other people were like, Oh no, she totally like signed and said it was cool. It was totally cool. Um, let's do it. And then Harper Lee died the next year and the book. I mean, I don't having read it. I feel like if Harper Lee were in full, um, awareness. I don't think she would have consented to have this published in the state that it is in. Yeah. But Without that's, even that's some kind of clarity, right? Because it's like, yeah. it's really hard to understand. Is this a sequel? Is it a prequel? Is it a, like, does it just live on its own or is it just like what it is? It's a, 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 a manuscript that she locked away in a drawer and didn't want to do anything with, right? Because. I mean, even outside of that, just content wise, like I, I, it just does not content wise. And also just like logically, if this woman knew that she wrote this book, this draft of this book for all of these years, and then suddenly is in a state where arguably she is no longer fully capable of, you know, consent and awareness and, you know, her mind is no longer what it was. Suddenly, all of a sudden, it's being published. That's sketchy all on its own. Without the actual content of the book, it's, yeah. So there was a lot of controversy around this when it came out, around the content, around whether or not she actually wanted this to be published, whether or not she was being taken advantage of for more money. And the whole the whole thing was just huge in the in the book world for mm -hmm. a while in the you know mid twenty teens. Yeah, and it it did make a lot of money. Like it had more pre orders than Harry Potter, which was huge. And the time they announced it, they did try to announce it as a sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird. 
And by the way, we're going to assume if you're listening to this, you have at least some familiarity with To Kill a Mockingbird. If you don't, you can go listen to the Bandcamp podcast or you can go and watch the movie or go and read the book. Like, we are mostly here to talk about Band of Books Week and then Ghost Out of Watchmen. And those are our objectives here. But anyway, it was initially like, oh, this is a sequel. But then as kind of more of the shadiness came out and like some people did the um, like text comparison analysis thing and like there are definitely passages that are just identical to To Kill a Mockingbird or like very similar but sort of like recycled in a way where to me it does seem like pretty clear that this was meant to be a first draft of To Kill a Mockingbird that did get then released into the world in this form and i just don't think it really is meant to be its own book but here we are well and the biggest part of the criticism and like i think why it caused like so much like tension was that you know and harper lee's weird in in the world of literature right because like it's not often that like uh, like she defined so many characters that are like really part of America, American literature, like, uh, I don't know, legends kind of, like Atticus Finch, right? So we all knew everyone who read the, the To Kill a Mockingbird or saw the movie, like it was Gregory Peck, Gregory Peck played him in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like Atticus Finch was just this awesome moral compass of the story. You know, he went to trial for this, you know, to to stand with this black guy who was railroaded into this rape trial. It was really like he was like the moral compass. And now the new book comes out and he is it kind of turns out he's racist. And it's like, why, why are you doing that to my memory now? Thanks. And, and I know I just said we didn't want to talk about To Kill a Mockingbird. But like what is interesting to me about it is that. You know, I had sort of forgotten until I went back and started, you know, like listening to your podcast. And then I read uh, I read a graphic novel adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird just to like fully refresh myself before reading this one. And like Atticus gets sort of in some circles called like a white savior. And like there's definitely critiques to be had of this book from like, you know, a, a progressive standpoint. But it's like he's a white savior, but he also didn't even like save Tom. Like he still died. <laughs> book that's right (laughs) spoiler alert yeah right he took a a stand and he was like i think all people are equal and like deserve representation in the law but then like the system was still so fucked that it didn't work and this man still died for no reason other than white supremacy so that sucks and and not to say necessarily that that means ill of atticus i think it's just like that is such a statement on the Jim Crow South and like blah 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 blah. But now here we are in Ghost at a Watchmen where Atticus uh is racist and kind of sucks. Yeah, and we should have mentioned this at the top and I completely forgot. Um there's some content warnings for this episode for surprise racism. Um <laughs> and also mentions of sexual assault and just badness. Yeah, and, like, we're not going to go into it in depth, but, like, if you're familiar with the plot of To Kill a Mockingbird, like, you're sort of familiar with the main incidents here as well, like, you know, the sexual assault case, and then the the racism, etc. Again, I guarantee you we will not say the N-word, but we're talking about characters who do say it, and that's cool for them. 
It's not cool for them. It's cool for them. (laughs) (laughs) So just as uh, uh, Renata has done the research, I read To Kill a Mockingbird in high school. Mm -hmm. And I have seen the movie a few times because my dad really liked the movie. Um, So I saw it a couple times. All dads really like the movie. All dads. All dads. Astros, all white dads. All white dads. (laughs) appreciate to kill a mockingbird so i saw it a couple times in like high school and college probably all the way through i remember very little outside of the broad strokes of the book and then read the wikipedia article right before i started (laughs) listening to this which i was saying before we started reese witherspoon does the audiobook and um it, yeah, and and Kate questioned Reese's Southern credentials. I did, uh, largely because she would read the narrative in her regular voice, and then she would put on a Southern accent for all the different characters. And then I was informed that she is apparently from the South. So, well, listen, we Apologies read the uh, we read her Wikipedia page. Don't uh, say what <laughs> we did was hard research. <laughs> Apologies, Therese. I I think it probably was a fine audiobook. I did listen to it progressively faster because I needed to be done and have this out of my ears. (laughs) So at 3x, you really can't tell at all. Oh my goodness. (laughs) What a performance. Hey, I'm worried about you. (laughs) 3x. Well, as you get so as you listen to it faster and faster, your brain gets used to it and it sounds normal. Saying I'm worried to you, I'm worried about you. (laughs) It's going to be like how like Quicksilver sees everyone else in slow motion. Like you're not going to be able to adapt to normal society anymore. And everyone sounds like a chipmunk version of Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Anyway, so this book it's it's in six parts. Which is sort of random because it's it goes back and forth between the book's present day when um, Jean Louise, aka Scout, is twenty six year old, and then flashbacks. But it's not even like it goes of the six parts that it's like flashbacks and not flashbacks. It seemed a little arbitrary to me when it was like now we're in part three. It's like well, uh, okay, but they were very clearly you know, set aside six parts. So part one, we see Jean Louise being 26 years old and um, riding the train home to Maycomb from New York and just sort of like reflecting to herself about the way that things have changed and like casually mentioning her cousin, Joshua, who fired upon the president of the university. Like her cousin, Joshua seems to be kind of a like, little mra or something um and it said he affected an inverness cape and wore jackboots he had a blacksmith makeup from his own design and then i looked up what an inverness cape is and my like, cousin joshua looks dapper as hell but <laughs> then immediately it was like anyway but then he like tried to assassinate the university president so he is locked up for that all those guys back then a lot of your assassins looked really cool yeah right like the guy who shot lincoln Dashing, dashing <laughs> gentlemen. Yeah, for, for more on this, please see Assassins by Stephen Sondheim. Um, anyway, everybody's got the right to be happy if you're white <laughs> in the South. And so uh, another defining characteristic of this version of Jean Louise is that like she hates technology, including things like 
how the train bed works. And she, her favorite game is golf because it's essential principles consisted of a stick, a small ball and a state of mind. And I do feel like most games don't have a lot of technology to them, but okay. And like, she refuses to learn how to use a typewriter. She just like hates technology. And it's sort of a weird characterization for her, especially when the child version of her is so notably like curious. Yeah. She also, uh, she's picked up at the train station once she manages to get off the train by Hank, her essentially grew up as like a second brother to her gems, best friend who uh, has always had, they've had a kind of on and off thing over the years where she'll date him, but she won't marry him. And he wants to marry her and wants her to move back to make home and, you know, live with him. He's going to be taking over Atticus's uh, law office because Jem dropped dead one day. <laughs> yes. Uh, and- <laughs> the same heart condition that killed their mother. No one is concerned that Scout might also have this, by the way. Yes. Uh- <laughs> I'll be honest. As soon as Jem died, I thought, Oh, I picked a bad book to read because I like Jim. And now it's like, well, what is this? Page one, he died. Great. Yeah. <laughs> this is sorry. <laughs> I saw The Nun 2 recently. Minor spoiler for The Nun 2. Uh, if you watch The Nun 1, which I'm sorry if you did, the like terrible priest in it when uh, the the young not evil nun character is like oh the bad nun's around we need you to go exercise her again she's like well what about the priest from the first movie and they're like oh he died of cholera like just (laughs) (laughs) literally and then they move on and that's kind of how i felt about gem they're like ah remember when gem dropped dead anyway (laughs) yeah it was like i just said also oh yeah yeah gem died bye okay let's get going oh god um but yeah, so so Hank has been on Scout to Jean Louise to marry him like forever. And she And just- by the way, if you're like, oh, what about Dill? Like she was pre-engaged to Dill from the first book. Uh, he went to Italy and he's never coming back to America, and good for him. Yes. And so she but she doesn't want to marry him because she at times it seems she hates the idea of being married. At other times, it seems like she does want to marry him just to annoy her aunt. And she the, the main reason she gives that first is because she's afraid that that would mean that she would settle. So she would move back to make home, move in with Hank. They'd have a couple kids and then she'd like meet someone better and have an affair with him. Mm-hmm. And so she can't even get started. It, it's just it's a very weird and complicated. But whatever. Uh, he's pissed about that. But whatever whatever meanwhile atticus is 72 years old and has rheumatoid rheumatoid arthritis or or ra as you can say and not have to pronounce it uh he has that and so he is having increasing trouble like getting around and using his hands but uh aunt alexandra has moved in with him to take care of him so that jean louise doesn't have to come back from New York to take care of him because she would hate that. And Atticus would hate having her hate it basically, which good, good for aunt Alexandra. One of her, one of her shining moments. 
Yes, I do. I do appreciate this detail about Aunt Alexandra, who seems like a pill. Um, but she has been married for like decades to this man who like years and years ago went on a fishing trip and was just like, I'm never coming back. And once she ascertained that it was not because he was having an affair, he just didn't want to live with her or be around her anymore. She was like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Uh, I get it. (laughs) Here's a quote where I, I put it in the notes and I wrote same. And it said, in short, she despised men and thrived out of their presence. (laughs) You know what? Go off Alexandra. I also love this depiction of her. Alexandra was one of those people who had gone through life at no cost to themselves. Had she been obliged to pay any emotional bills during her earthly life, Jean Louise could imagine her stopping at the check-in desk in heaven and demanding a refund. <laughs> so, like, there there are these little pieces in it where you're like, damn, that's a good line, Harper. And you could definitely see where an editor would have gotten this and been like, yeah, there's promise in this draft. Like, why don't you rework it and turn it into, like, one of the most beloved books of all time? Uh, why don't you just do that? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, that never happened. And we got this book. So, uh, Jean <laughs> well, Louise, it did happen. It did happen. But then we also got this. Yes, book. but then we also got this book. Correct. <laughs> so, Jean Louise goes out on a couple dates with Henry. Um, she chit chats with Atticus about you know her being back and what he's been up to. And uh, on one of these dates with Henry, they go sk- not skinny dipping. They take a dip fully clothed in the river, and it causes an uproar with the church ladies who think they were naked. And Aunt Alexandra, so it, at Aunt Alexandra, is so mad. And uh, mm-hmm. at that point, I think it is she says, "Well, what, what would you say if I married Henry?" And she essentially is like, oh, I love I love that kid. I'm so glad he's been so good to your father. Like, he's so good helping out around the law office. You know, he's everyone. However, here's another quote I pulled because Alexandra does have some good lines. Have you ever noticed how he licks his fingers when he eats cake? Trash. Have you ever seen him cough without covering his mouth? Trash. Did you know he got a girl in trouble at the university? Trash. Have you ever watched him pick at his nose when he didn't think anybody was looking? Trash. <laughs> yeah, she's she's always one to quickly point out how everyone is trash and she's better. Yeah, the finches are where it's at. You have to understand. <sighs> God. Um. So they the end of the week after the or the end of the day on Sunday after all the church ladies make a big fuss about their swimming in the river Jean Louise is like hey where are dad or she's cleaning up her dad's papers and she sees a pamphlet that is basically like why black people are stupid and bad and she's shocked that it's even in the house because she knows her father to be a person who cares about uh you know, everyone having equal rights and, you know, people being people and all of that. But when she takes it to her aunt, she's like, how'd this even get in the house? Her aunt's like, oh, well, you know, your dad's part of the Citizens Council. He's like the president of the board. Like, of course, he has literature in the house about how stupid and bad black people are. And this is, of course, news to Jean Louise, who runs into town and sneaks into this meeting in the balcony of the courthouse, which, of course, if you remember from To Kill a Mockingbird, is where she watched much of the trial in that book and discovers that both Hank and her dad are on the Citizens Council and are applauding and advocating for these very hateful speakers 
coming and talking about how, you know, they need to do something about to ensure segregation continues and take away further rights from Black people and all of these other horrible things that make her run out of the meeting and get sick to her stomach throwing up over the idea that her father is part of this council and then take to her bed and cancel her date with Hank because she can't stand to be around him. Yeah. And have a little brief flashback to essentially like the plot of To Kill a Mockingbird where, um, but except for in her flashback, the court case ended with um, Tom being acquitted versus in To Kill a Mockingbird, he was found guilty. Um, So again, you can see where this, this could have been a first draft of To Kill a Mockingbird where some editor was like, hey, why don't you expand this court case? Why don't you like da-da-da-da-da? But here it's just sort of like a flashback that she has while she's uh, lying in bed trying to recover from having been to this shitty council meeting. That's why to me, like when they take such big liberties from what the original book was to the storyline in this, it's it's not canon in my mind. You know what I mean? It's like, well, wait, you can't have in the same universe, he's acquitted and he's not acquitted. So these are just two separate, whatever, (laughs) I think. Yeah. Yeah. We just, we shouldn't, this shouldn't have been let out into the world in this state, but again, it was, here we are. And there's some more, there's some more like childhood flashbacks here, which, and some of these are sort of, similar anecdotes to like you know her being a child in To Kill Mockingbird and you know going to school and whatnot um and like the Coningham's versus the Cunningham's like all that kind of small town stuff you you know Calpurnia their their housekeeper from the book like she helps she helps uh scout through her like are you there? Goddess me, Margaret phase where she, you know, gets, gets the curse, AKA her period and becomes a woman. And Calpurnia for the first time, like treats her like an adult white woman and calls her ma'am and miss scout. And that marks a little change in their relationship. So yeah, we do get in the middle part of the book, just sort of some of the flashbacks that you could see going on to be sort of like the spine of to kill a mockingbird. But here they're just sort of like dumped in here. And, and again, like some of these are things where you're like, oh, this is like very, uh, it's very charming little stories. And again, once they're put back into Kill a Mockingbird, you're like, cool. But here it does feel a little bit like, why, why now? Why here? What's happening with your pacing? Oh, you mean like the flashbacks with like playing as yeah. a child and all that? Yeah. Yeah. That did seem a little out of place. And I was wondering what the purpose of it is in it. The only thing I can think of is like, you know, Jem was there and he, you know, he must have just been a vehicle for Henry to come on board. Like he was there, he dropped dead just so that <laughs> Henry I could kill be, him off. Why, you know, why not just let in. him be there then? Because then uh, Atticus wouldn't oh, have taken true. him in. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's kind of strange. Like I don't I don't know why they had all these flashbacks with jam and especially dill like he didn't seem to i couldn't figure out his function yeah they definitely have like these extent where there's this like weird little narrative dump of like oh yeah like you know dill was even though like the story has just established that henry was a huge part of our lives really (laughs) like we sometimes henry went away for a little while and then we played with dill 
uh, who also was like a really great friend, but then he went to Europe in the war and never came back ever again. The end. Bye. And <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was a commentary. Like he was in Europe and he liked it better and he never came back. <laughs> and that's like a commentary on how the United States is. Yeah, and, and I mean, I would, I would get that if we had more of a sense of dill yeah, it's like, yeah. like just the like dismissiveness. It reminded me they do eventually go into a little more detail on Jem's funeral, but even then, it's like ah, Jem died, and then there was a funeral, and this is what happened. It's mostly to set the stage for a big fight that um, Jean Louise and uh, Aunt Alexandra had. Like, and Dill is similarly. It's like one sentence where it's like. Oh, where's Dill? Oh, he went to Europe in the war and never came back. And then we forgot to tell him that Jem died. <laughs> we didn't even tell him. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And like, again, if you have read To Kill a Mockingbird, you're like, ah, oh, Dill, I love that guy. But if you had only read this book, you'd be like, why, who, why is Dill here? Like, what is this? You know, like, he's not really fleshed out in this version. Right. Henry is fleshed out and I still don't like him. No. And, yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, that, that I don't think we're meant to like Henry. Yeah. Well, right. Good job then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we were meant to like any of the characters. And that's like the, the big contrast between Kill a Mockingbird and this one is like with the one, I, I still did. I felt very affectionate towards all the characters. And this one, it's like everyone's just so horrible. Yeah. You well, know? And probably. Probably that was a choice they made. Well, to kill a mockingbird, let's put it out there through the eyes of a child and it'll be sweet and it'll be charming. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, it, you know, it, it, it was, it won the Nobel or the, excuse Pulitzer me, the prize. What's a Pulitzer. Right. I don't think this would have won For it, you or know? Not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It did win the Goodreads Choice Award of that year, which goes to show you that Goodreads Choice is not a good metric of quality. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, as to whether the likability of these, I think let's circle back to the very end because I do want to talk about the very end. Well, let's um, very first, quickly let's go through the middle and yeah. There's a lot of like Jean Louise like telling, you know, Henry she's not going to marry him because of his racism. Because he's racist, yeah. Arguing with her dad and and Henry about their racism and uh, you know, she asked her uncle Jack why everyone's so racist. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, um, Atticus takes a, a, there's a lot of discussion of like states rights, like Atticus claims he's only in these meetings because he wants to know what's going on with the citizens council and the clan. And also because while he doesn't have anything against black people, he does think that uh, the state will suffer if they put segregation to because it's too much through because it's too much change too fast. And so he's only there for noble states rights purposes and not. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Racist. Yeah. I, he might be lying to himself. You, I, don't I mean, know. you don't want the black people going to school with your kids, right? Uh, yeah. Right. And be- <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you know, the the Negroes are still in their childhood as a race. Like he is saying whack fucked up shit. Yes. Um, But because he's Atticus, he's saying it reasonably. And he even like, he has this kind of like smug argument with Jean Louise where 
she's like, oh, but like, I do think Brown v. Board of Education went too far. And like, I think the federal government is like forcing this on us. And it's like, whoa, like this is our, well, and this is another change is to kill a mockingbird is first person from her point of view. And Ghost Head of Watchmen is third person. So it's not purely from Jean Louise's point of view, but she's basically our perspective character. And she's like, oh yeah, great point. Like I like fuck the Supreme court. I do think States rights is important, but I'm not racist. Like you guys, I'm just a little racist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm racist light. I had a real, I had a real issue with that passage in the book, her argument with her father, because it didn't make sense to me. I couldn't, I could, it could not, it did not compute in my brain. I'm like, why would she see his side? I, I couldn't understand that. Right. And I think it kind of comes down to like, are we, is this meant to be commentary on how like everyone is racist or is it that Harper Lee, even as she's trying to be anti-racist, she still also was like a woman from the South in the, in the fifties and sixties. And like, even her definition of what it meant to be not racist is still not like not racist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, it, she seemed to be arguing both sides and then she was just like capitulating in my, like that's, I couldn't understand it. Like on the one hand she was saying, blacks deserve everything we do, but then she agreed with her father that they're not, I, it didn't make sense to me. She was saying two different things. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. And that makes me like almost think like maybe that's why she never wanted to release the manuscript. Like maybe she's thinking like, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know what the hell I was thinking back then. It wasn't until I got with an editor who said, you know, it'd be a really good story if we did this, 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 and this. Oh, okay. Let's just let this be my record. And let's just forget this other stupid first draft. You know, I don't know. Like it seemed like rushed. Like it all just did. It seem to you guys like the book had a pace, and then all of a sudden in the in the very last two yeah. chapters, it was like, bup, 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 let's wrap this up. You know, it just I don't know. It seemed kind of lazy in a way, yes, and I didn't like it. First draft, badly paced. Like yeah, it feels it feels like a first yeah. draft that shouldn't have been released, and that if Harper Lee had been like in her full senses, she would have said, "Do not put this out with my name on it." But, and again, I don't have proof of this. This is all allegedly, but it just simply, I cannot believe that, that if she were fully aware that she would have consented to this. Yeah. Is, Hmm. it is, it is bad. But so just to finish up the summary real quick, um, she does, uh, Jean Louise, um, or there's there's a, p- a passage earlier on in the book where they're talking about how um, all of the black people in town are very into like driving and driving very fast because they can afford cars, but very few of them have licenses or insurance. Mm-hmm. And um, the nephew of someone they know, um, or the the son of someone they know, who is a no, black. It's- it's Calpurnia's grandson. Oh, Calpurnia's grandson, right? Whatever. Yeah, who as, is who is the son of Zebo? Who is yes? Who is Calpurnia's son? son so they yes. they don't know Zebo as well as they know Calpurnia. But, yeah. Um, he hits over. He runs over this guy who is drunk, a pedestrian, 
and kills him. A and, white pedestrian. Yes, a white pre- a pedestrian. And Atticus agrees to take the case because otherwise the NAACP will come to town and he doesn't want that. And they <laughs> and even G right. hates the NAACP. Which it's, right. Guys, it's That's... sad. It's a bad book. And it hurt to read it. Yeah. <laughs> it did hurt yeah, to read it. It gave me a it's like wacky world all of a sudden. And it, and it's funny because again, not to I mean, I know we kind of keep going back and forth. Uh, between this and To Kill a Mockingbird, but like, you know, Calpurnia was their their cook and like the, they're just, she was a major part of the family. And so when her grandkid gets hit, the best lawyer in town, of course, is going to help, right? Well, turns out kind of, I mean, I will, but again, not because she's part of our family, just because, you know, I don't want to deal with the NACP. It's just so ridiculous. It's, yeah, it's it sucks. Good. And even, well, A, I mean, it doesn't seem like Atticus's heart is in it, but he can't get, um, oh, what's the, what's the name of the man who, who did the hitting? The Zebo's boy is found guilty because like the evidence is pretty conclusive. And also because Atticus was trying that hard. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and again, like, I think that you could work on this and, like, make it this, like, really thorny, interesting story about how, like, you know, our heroes have feet of clay, and even though you think they have good principles, they actually, like, are still affected by white supremacy because, like, we all are in this country, and, like, it takes a lot of work to consciously unlearn, and, like, they're not doing the work, but that wasn't certainly what was on Harper Lee's mind when she was drafting this in the fifties and nobody bothered to like go back and do that before releasing it in 2015. So again, why are we here? Except that somebody in Harper Lee's estate wanted to make some money. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. Nah. (laughs) It's frustrating. It's frustrating that we don't know that, you know, the truth. Like we can make really good guesses, but we'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know like whether, I mean, you could make a pretty good educated guess as, as you have, but you know, we, we won't know. Um, so the book ends with uh, Jean Louise and Atticus having a big fight and her like going back to New York. And, mm-hmm. um, but also like with her, with her mostly agreeing with Atticus. She's like, this sucks, but also Atticus is so smart and he's making such good points about state rights. Hmm. And then everyone, like Uncle Jack and everyone's like, you'll you'll come back to make home eventually. And at the end of this book, we don't know, but also like Harper Lee did eventually, you know, she was from what, what, Marshallsville? Marshall. She was from a small town that started with an M in the South. And then she went to New York for a long time, but then did return to the South at the end of her life. So I think there is, it's not stated outright, but I do think we could assume that, that Jean Louise will eventually return to make home. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it just is it's just- weird going from this super liberal bastion, like New York, which is super liberal, even back then. And then mm-hmm. getting off a train and you're in this, you know, backwards racist, you know, it's just, it's weird. And it makes you think like, well, okay, fast forward to the future when she returns 
how much further behind is Maycomb and Maycomb County going to be? You know, like what would they be like today? Uh, you know, I, it's it's. I think it's just scary because so much of this is like we think we're so past it and we're not. Very frustrating too, because like. You know, I I think that the point here, like Renata said, is that we're supposed to look at this as like, oh, like, you know, because like Jean Louise held her father up on such a pedestal, she needs to come down to earth at the end of his life and realize that he's no different from anyone else. And he's just another human being with, you know, who can be flawed. But it's done in the most like nonsensical, over the top, racist, weird way possible and it it just it leaves such a a bad taste in your mouth compared to the characters like the, it doesn't seem to fully make sense with the characters and even within the book like the characters yeah. it, it's guys it's bad i mm-hmm. i know it doesn't seem to make sense with the characters that's exactly how i felt with it you know it's just it contradicts itself and it's so frustrating, especially when they're like Atticus is a man of the law and he, he follows the, you know, the law to, to the nth degree. And then he doesn't agree with the Supreme court. It's like, that's a contradiction. It doesn't make sense. Like, aren't the laws, like I thought that state's rights deferred to federal rights. So he doesn't agree with the law. And yet he's like, the you know the man who lives by the law i don't know it's just it, ridiculous it, just, it was like it was hurting my brain it didn't yeah yeah it was a, it, it was a problem it's problematic i know it's wild to think that a book we read on this show is bad but guys it's <laughs> pretty bad i know and this is just bad in in a different way than some of the the other things that we read because this is like it's not fun bad. Like there's there's not any vampires. No. no. I think some vampires <laughs> could have made it better. Mhm. <laughs> well, the original book had Boo Radley, which was kind of a creepy, spirity, ghosty kind of guy. True. Like now it's like we have we get nothing here. We get Henry. Big Ugh. whoop. Yeah. <laughs> we should have had the ghost of uh Jem. Scout, dad's real bad. I mean, real bad. (laughs) Oh my goodness! Yeah, no, it's it was a depressing, like, um, kind of like defeatist, like this whole idea of like, well, we're 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 slowly changing and evolving. It's all going to take time. Scout, look in the mirror. What do you see? You know, it's uh, it was just really uh, disheartening for me, and um. Like I think I said before, when we were uh, before we were recording, it's like I think in a like every single person I think goes through something with their parents where one day they just disappoint you in the most heart crushing way. I mean that happened to me, but I I still I I just I will never come around to thinking like my father. I never will, and I will never accept it. And um. Like the book, it, it actually like in a lot of ways. I'm sorry, guys. I did like the book. Like, no, it, that's great. I, I think I that's identify- great to have different opinions. Yeah, please tell us. Yeah, no, I just I so identified with Scout on so many levels. Where, um, you're living in a place 
and you're living on a dual reality with everyone around you. And one day you find out what's really happening and you're like, holy shit. And it's, it's heartbreaking. And it's something that I never got over. And I am, I'm, I was traumatized at it at 16 and with what's recently going on in the world, it's like every day it's a re-traumatization of, of my awakening. And it's, I mean, on one hand, it's so soul crushing and, um, it, it makes me feel like losing hope, you know, like you, cause I also have, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you're a child and you're taught these things about America and how, you know, we have, you know, before, before you wake up to what, what's really happening and you've got these American ideals of I equality should, I just, and sorry, I don't mean just, to interrupt. I do just want to specify this is a white, Oh, as a white child in America. Yeah, for sure. Right. As a white, of, of course, but um, t- from my experience, I've, I've never been anything other. One day you wake up and you realize that's not like that. It's not like that for everyone. And um, I now I forgot what I was going to say. Like, I, in a lot of ways, I think she was trying to make Atticus not just as a person, but like as a representative of what you're taught as a child of what the country is as a white child, um, of course. For my experience, I'm not saying, of course, everyone. I'm just saying, of course, for me. And um, it it is, it's heartbreaking. And, um, you know, it makes me angry. And this is where I get really upset with the book, because why would she ever be like, okay, all right, I'm just going to go through the motions and I'm just going to go have dinner with Henry and I'm just going to go back to my father and, and make I'm going to be with okay him. with like, it. For me, I'm ready to punch people, you know, like I, I have a lot of anger, I guess, about the current political oh, of course. <laughs> and, um, y- you know, like I can't see a reasonable way out of it because like some people you just can't reason with, you just cannot reason with some people. And, um, well, it's hard to argue when you- I guess the, I guess the book, the book stirred up quite a few <laughs> emotions for me. I don't know. Well, it's hard to deal uh, oh. argue with facts when they're alternate facts. That's exactly it, Dan. It's like some things are just so obvious to me. Like everyone deserves to be treated as human, and you know this whole thing with like banning um, you know, books like penguins that you know might be two male penguins that raise a child. It's like okay, okay. Clearly, we're talking about same sex parents. It, why why would anyone disagree with that? It, it it just makes me so angry and I just can't get over the idea that we should s- get along with people or accept the viewpoint that it's okay not to think that's okay. Well, and I think the real issue too with with Jean Louise is that I I don't think she is as staunchly anti-racist as you know, she keeps being like, oh, it, like I'm colorblind, which we already know, like that's kind of a uh, oversimplified passe outdated thing to be yeah. anyway. But then she's like, it's not even that she rejects Atticus, but she still goes to dinner with him. Like she agrees with him a lot of stuff. Like she also doesn't support Brown versus Board of Education. So 
again, I think if this had maybe been revised through modern eyes, like maybe there would be a different take on it. But I think that this is sort of this little, you know, trapped in amber sort of progressive character who were being, who's being like held up as the most progressive, but it's still like not great. And it isn't fun to read. Right. No, it's not fun. But yeah, I do, I do think another draft there could, there could be something really interesting and, and it, there are bits that are interesting of, you know, um, of like, of like you were saying, Jennifer, like, you know, this, 26 year old adult coming back from New York, seeing her small hometown with different eyes. Like there is something somewhat universal to that of, you know, going away and coming back and, and people changing and you having a new worldview and, you know, learning that your parents are are humans after all, but at, at the core of it, there still is, um, there still is this like rotten racist core in all the characters and all the white characters anyway. And uh, boo. Yeah, it's, and also just parts of it, I don't know, the fact that this, it it appears that Henry and her father have been a part of these groups for a long time. Mm-hmm. And although she is no longer living in Maycomb, she is still visiting, if not like regularly, regularly, like- I mean, yeah, for like two weeks at a time. And it just seems strange to me that this is like literally never come up before. Agreed. That yeah. <laughs> it's bad on a structural level. It's bad on a like plot pacing level. It's bad on a sensical level. It's bad on a content level. And and it's almost certainly bad on an like ethical level of having yes. been published in the first place. Yeah, Again, maybe the worst. Allegedly, allegedly, but also ooh, I don't know. I just can't believe that yeah. she would let this be published if she knew. Um, but so now uh Kate will start us off with a dramatic reading. Okay. Hooray. So this is from uh the very beginning of the book, chapter one, where uh Henry and Jean Louise are reuniting as Henry picks her up from the train station and are having a little discussion about their future. Henry had always respected Atticus Finch. Soon it melded to affection and Harry and Henry regarded him as a father. He did not regard Jean Louise as a sister. In the years when he was away at the war in the university, she had turned from an overall fractious, gun-slinging creature into a reasonable facsimile of a, of a human being. He began dating her on her annual two-week visits home, and although she still moved like a 13-year-old boy and abjured most feminine adornment, he found something so intensely feminine about her that he fell in love. She was easy to look at and easy to be with most of the time, but she was in no sense of the word an easy person. She was afflicted with a restlessness of spirit that he could not guess at, but he knew she was the one for him. He would protect her. He would marry her. Tired of New York, he said? No. Give me a free hand these two weeks and I'll make you tired of it. Is that an improper suggestion? Yes. Go to hell then. Henry stopped the car. He turned off the ignition switch, slewed around, and looked at her. She knew when he became serious about something. 
His crew cut bristled like an angry brush, his face colored, its scar reddened. Honey, do you want me to put it like a gentleman? Miss Jean Louise, I have now reached an economic status that can provide for the support of two. I, like Israel of old, have labored seven years in the vineyards of the university and the pastures of your daddy's office for you. I'll tell Atticus to make it seven more. Hateful. Besides, she said, it was Jacob anyway. No, they were the same. They always changed their names every third verse. How's auntie? You know good and well she's been fine for 30 years. Don't change the subject. Jean Louise's eyebrows flickered. Henry, she said primly, I'll have an affair with you, but I won't marry you. It was exactly right. Don't be such a damn child, Jean Louise, Henry sputtered, and forgetting the latest dispensations from General Motors, grabbed for the gear shift and stomped at a clutch. These denied him. He wrenched the ignition key violently, pressed some buttons, and the big car glided slowly and smoothly down the highway. She was almost in love with him. No, that's impossible, she thought. Either you are or you aren't. Love's not the only thing in the world. Love's the only thing in the world that is unequivocal. There are different kinds of love, certainly, but it's a you-do-or-you-don't proposition with them all. She was a person who, when confronted with the easy way out, always took the hard way. The easy way out of this would be to marry Hank and let him labor for her. After a few years, when the children were waist-high, the man would come along whom she should have married in the first place. There would be searchings of hearts, fevers and frets, long looks at each other on the post office steps, and misery for everybody. The hollering and the high-mindedness over, all that would be left would be another shabby little affair a la the Birmingham Country Club set and a self-constructed private Gena with the latest Westinghouse appliances. Hank didn't deserve that. No, for the present, she would pursue the stony path of spinsterhood. She set about restoring peace with honor. Honey, I'm truly sorry, she said, and she was. Hmm. Reminds me of uh, the, the argument I, she truly was sorry. <laughs> Why would she apologize? She was so <laughs> You know, socialization. All right. Uh, I'm I'm going to do a little dramatic reading between Jean Louise and Uncle Jack, a.k.a. Dr. Finch. A table stood in the center of Dr. Finch's kitchen, and on the table was a saucer containing a cracker upon which rested a solitary sardine. Jean Louise gaped. Is that your dinner? Honestly, Uncle Jack, can you possibly get any weirder? Dr. Finch drew a high stool to the table, deposited Rose Elmer upon it, and said, no. Yes. Jean Louise and her uncle sat down at the table. Dr. Finch picked up the cracker and sardine and presented them to Rose Elmer. Rose Elmer took a small bite, put her head down, and chewed. She eats like a human, said Jean Louise. I hope I've taught her manners said Dr. Finch. She's so old now, I have to feed her bit by bit. Why don't you put her to sleep? Dr. Finch looked indignantly at his niece. Why should I? What's the matter with her? She's got a good ten years yet. Jean Louise silently agreed, and wished, comparatively speaking, that she would look as good as Rose Elmer when she was as old. Rose Elmer's yellow coat was in excellent repair. She still had her figure. Her eyes were bright. She slept most of her life now, and once a day, Dr. Finch walked her around the backyard on a leash. That, that's all. Just, just a little bit. That was, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. All right. Um, and then I think um, 
that Dan is up with uh, one of the childhood flashback scenes. That was, that was also kind of fun. And nice. yeah. <clears throat> um, so yeah, as I've been saying, I miss the character Dill. And I think this was, this was a very Dill moment. I bet this was originally a Dill kind of move in, you know, in, in one draft somewhere in between. Um, so uh Jean Louise and Henry are going to a school dance and she realizes that, um, you know, she, she's a tomboy. She never really gets dressed up. So she puts on this dress and she looks weird. So she puts falsies in. So now she's got big fake false boobs. Oh, I just spilled my coffee. Getting very excited during this. So she puts on these falsies and she can't stand them. She thinks they look weird and everyone's looking at her. And they start dancing and she's moving around and pretty soon she notices, Henry notices that um, like one of your fake boobs moved over so it's on your side and you look like you have a goiter or something. You should just take these fake pillows out. You look beautiful. You're fine without them. Just take them out. And she doesn't want to do it because everyone's going to laugh. And he just reaches in, grabs them and throws them into the hedges. Okay. This is all an elaborate setup to the next day they are in school. And they, there's a big assembly, and all of a sudden, the uh, principal, Mr. Tuffet, real mad at everyone, and they go outside to realize why he's mad, and hanging over this, I guess a memorial, yeah, and then hanging over the memorial is are these, these falsies. So he tells everyone, listen, everyone is in trouble unless one person fesses up, and I know who it was, which is just a dick move that everyone does when they don't know. So that is the setup to this scene. And he said, I want everybody to come to my office by such and such a time, or somebody has to come to my office before such and such a time to confess. Otherwise, everyone's in trouble. So it they were Jean Louise's falsies. So Henry says, you just have to go give him this note and um, that basically say, these look like mine. I got them at Ginsburg's, right? The, the store. Mm-hmm. So just go turn yourself in. Don't worry about it. She's like, why? He's like, just, you got to do it. So that's where this scene takes place. She's walking down the hallway now and she's going to turn herself in. I wanted to give you this, sir. She said, backing away instinctively. Mr. Tuffet took her note, wadded it up without reading it and threw it in the waste paper basket. Jean Louise had sensation of being floored by a feather. Ah, Mr. Tuffet, she said, I came to tell you, like you said, I, I got him at Ginsburg, she added gratuitously. I, I didn't mean any. Mr. Tuffet looked up, her, his face reddening with anger. Don't you stand there and tell me what you didn't mean. Never in my experience have I come across. Now she was in for it. But as she listened, she received the impression that Mr. Tuffet's uh, she seemed, but as she listened, she received the impression that Mr. Tuffet's were general remarks directed more to the student body than to her. They were an echo of his early morning feelings. He was concluding with Presse on the unhealthy attitudes engaged by the Maycomb County when she, oh my God. He was concluding with a Presse on the unhealthy attitudes engendered by Maycomb County when she interrupted. Mr. Tuffet, I just want to say, everybody's not to blame for what I did. You don't have to take it out on everybody. Mr. Tuffet gripped the edge of his desk and said between clenched teeth, for that bit of impudence, you may remain one hour after school, young lady. 
She took a deep breath. Mr. Tuffet, she said, I think there's been a mistake. I really don't quite... You don't, do you? Then I'll show you. Mr. Tuppet snatched up a thick pile of loose leaf notebook paper and waved it at her. You, miss, are the, you, miss, are the hundredth and fifth. Jean Louise examined all of the sheets of paper. They were all alike. On each was written, Dear Mr. Tuppet, they look like mine. And they were signed by every, every girl in the school from the ninth grade, grade upward. And I just thought that was a neat part because when they can when they figure out how it happened it was hank's idea and he figured out this brilliant idea of having every girl write that note saying well they look like mine he got that idea from consulting with his quote lawyer atticus and they thought oh atticus can sometimes not be so much a jerk <laughs> i like that scene yeah it's a it's a teen girl spartacus moment mm. Yeah, right. It's nice. <laughs> All right. And then um, Jennifer will conclude our dramatic readings with um, with, a, with kind of a bummer, frankly. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it gets back to for what for me is the heart of the book, which is a rude awakening to yeah. reality. <laughs> um, so this is when uh, Zebo's son has run over some old confused guy and uh, she goes to see Calpurnia because that Zebo's Calpurnia's son. So it's Calpurnia's favorite, apparently favorite grandson who is going to be um, on trial for running over this old confused man in the street. And Calpurnia, of course, raised Jean Louise. Um, and was pretty much the mother figure. Like she did a lot of things like explain, you know, her period to her. She explained all kinds of things that a mother would have done. So she, Calpurnia was really a mother figure to Jean Louise. So um, Jean Louise was on her feet. She felt the hot tears come and she walked blindly to the window. The old woman had not moved Jean Louise turned and saw her sitting there, seeming to inhale steadily. Calpurnia was wearing her company manners. Jean Louise sat down again in front of her. Cal, she cried. Cal, 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 what are you doing to me? What's the matter? I'm your baby. Have you forgotten me? Why are you shutting me out? What are you doing to me? Calpurnia lifted her hands and brought them down softly on the arms of her rocker. Her face was a million tiny wrinkles, and her eyes were dim behind thick lenses. What are you all doing to us, she said. Us? Yes'm, us. Jean Louise said slowly, more to herself than to Calpurnia. As long as I've lived, I never remotely dreamed that anything like this could happen. And here it is. I cannot talk to the one human who raised me from the time I was two years old. It is happening as I sit here, and I cannot believe it. Talk to me, Cal. For God's sake, talk to me right. Don't sit there like that. She looked into the old woman's face, and she knew it was hopeless. Calpurnia was watching her, and in Calpurnia's eyes was no hint of compassion. Jean Louise rose to go. Tell me one thing, Cal, she said. Just one thing before I go, please. I've got to know. Do you hate us or did you hate us? 
The old woman sat silent, bearing the burden of her years. Jean Louise waited. Finally, Calpurnia shook her head. Zebo, okay, and then there's a little break. Zebo said Jean Louise, if there's anything I can do, for goodness sake, call on me. Yes'm, the big man said, but it didn't look like there's anything. Frank, he show killed him, and there's nothing nobody can do. Mr. Finch, he can't do nothing about something like that. Is there anything I can do for you while you're home, ma'am? And that's heartbreaking how good how good mm-hmm. he is. Um, they were standing on the porch, and the path cleared for them. Jean Louise sighed. Yes, Zebo, right now. You can come help me turn my car around. I'd be in the corn patch before long. Yes, and Miss Jean Louise. She watched Zebo manipulate the car in the narrow confine of the road. I hope I can get back home, she thought. Thank you, Zebo, she said wearily. Remember now. The Negro touched his hat brim and walked back to his mother's house. Jean Louise sat in the car, staring at the steering wheel. Why is it that everything I have ever loved on this earth has gone away from me in two days' time? Would Jem turn his back on me? She loved us. I swear she loved us. She sat there in front of me, and she didn't see me. She saw white folks. She raised me, and she doesn't care. I was not always like this. I swear it wasn't. People used to trust each other for some reason. I've forgotten why. They didn't watch each other like hawks then. I wouldn't get looks like that going up these steps 10 years ago. She never wore her company manners with one of us. When Jem died, her precious Jem, it nearly killed her. Jean Louise remembered going to Calpurnia's house late one afternoon two years ago. She was sitting in her room as she was today, her glasses down on her nose. She had been crying. Always so easy to fix for, Calpurnia said. Never a day's trouble in his life, my boy. He brought me a present home from the war. He brought me an electric coat. When she smiled, Calpurnia's face broke into a million wrinkles. She went to the bed and from under it pulled out a white, a wide box. She opened the box and held up an enormous expanse of black leather. It was a German flying officer's coat. See, she said, it turns on. Jean Louise examined the coat and found tiny wires running through it. There was a pocket containing batteries. Mr. Jem said it'd keep my bones warm in the wintertime. He said for me not to be scared of it, but to be careful when it was lighting. Calpurnia in her electric coat was the envy of her friends and neighbors. Yeah, I would be really interested... Well, we're moving on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to Ghost at a Watchman. By the way, we didn't talk about the title. And there is a part where, like, she goes to church and it's a Bible verse, Ghost at a Watchman. I don't really understand what it means to Ghost at a Watchman. Like, she hears that and she's like, ah, yeah, so why is Ghost at a Watchman? I'm like, I don't get it. Do you guys get it? Well, listen, first of all, she's never been good at coming up with titles for books. There is very (laughs) little about how to actually kill a mockingbird in the first book. You know (laughs) that. Yeah, it's not instructional. Um, But for real, the Bible, does anyone get the Bible verse, Ghost of a Watchman? 
There's so many Bible verses I don't understand. I think it's like purposefully confusing. But no, I'm not familiar with the Bible in any sense, but um, it is a confusing verse. Doesn't it come up in Uncle Jack's talking to her at the end? Yeah, and I still didn't get it. Sorry, I I was trying to talk and I was on mute. (laughs) Yeah, Kate, please Bible explain to us. Sorry, this is weird. This is like the third time in a couple days that I like a fucking gay millennial atheist have explained the Bible to someone else. But I did teach catechism a long time ago. And if I recall correctly from the full verse that they say in the novel, basically what it says is like some go set a watchman is to like go and get someone to like look over this group or this town and like make sure they're on the right moral path okay like like get an election observer yeah i guess <laughs> yeah. Go keep more a like, vigil over these people more like less than go set a less get an election observer and more like elect someone who's a good person i think okay 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 so someone to watch and make sure people are being yeah. ethical. So that's, and that's okay because Jack is trying to convince her that she should move back to Maycomb so that she can like spread her progressive views among her peers. Yeah. Okay. I see. That is my understanding sense, of it. Okay. Okay. Uh, th- thank you. Thank you, St. Kate. Um, oh, God. <laughs> okay. As I was saying, we'll move on to Reader's Advisory, where we can suggest books read instead of or in addition to Ghost at a Watchman by Harper Lee. And I was just thinking it would be really interesting if, like, a Black American author wrote, like, a retelling that was from Calpurnia's point of view. Oh, that would be great. I Like, I kind of just quickly Googled it to see if anyone had already written that, and it didn't come up in the first page of results. So, um I think that would be an interesting book to read, but I don't know if it exists or not. So instead I will say um, a couple that I would recommend Uh, nonfiction, the warmth of other suns by Isabel Wilkerson is like a really like compelling work of nonfiction by like a black American sociologist that explores the great migration. And I think that's something that, you know, I think Atticus and Jean Louise would have benefited from reading it because they're like, well, if like black people hate it here so much, why don't they leave? And it's like, well, because of structural racism and it was very difficult. And maybe Isabel Wilkerson could have explained it to you, but she hadn't written it yet. Um, and then in terms of fiction, a couple um, like compelling historical fiction stories that are not totally contemporaneous, but um, in places brush up against it. Um, I would say Homegoing by Yag Yassi and The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. I both um, loved both of those books. And, uh, you know, it's a, a, a compelling look at Black life in America from Black writers. What a concept. Yeah, I also was like, this is a place to spotlight Black authors, but all I read are horror novels. <laughs> um so i you know a couple things that i think you should check out i guess if you also are very into horror novels (laughs) (laughs) that have really nothing to do with ghost watchmen i'm sorry 
Well, um, you know, what's what's more horrifying to a white liberal than Atticus Finch joining the Klan? That is, <laughs> that is so true. If you think about it. That is so true. Um, I would recommend The Deep by Solomon Rivers. Um, there is a really good collection of short fiction, um, How Long Till Black Future Month by N.K. Jemison, mm-hmm. which is very good. Um Obviously, like basically everything by Victor Lavelle, especially the Ballad of Black Tom, which is a sort of um, remix of an H.P. Lovecraft story from the point of view of a black man, which if you are aware of H.P. Lovecraft, you do know that he is famously racist, anti-Semitic, a terrible human being, despite the fact that he has left this lasting footprint on our uh, horror culture. Um, and also The Changeling by Victor Lavelle is a very good novel. Um, basically anything by Tanana Rivdu. Uh, I think I've talked about The Good House on this podcast before. I might have also talked about um, My Soul to Take. And uh, There's a new one coming out, I think, next month. Yeah, probably. Month. She is great. Like, even her vampire stories and... I as, for all of the vampire books that we read on this podcast, I'm not a huge fan of vampires on my own. Um, are are so good and so engaging, and I'll put some others up on the list as well. And yeah, so that that's my contribution. Is all I read is horror books. I'm sorry, but here's some good ones. By <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Dan and Jennifer, do you have any uh, recommended books? Um, I would. I would suggest, even if you've read it and you were forced to read it, and we've been talking about it all day, go kill. A, what is it called? Go kill a walk. What? what oh my God! Go kill a mockingbird. Go Yeah, take both books and uh, flick the pages together like a deck of cards and try to make sense of it that way. I would say reread To Kill a Mockingbird. It. I just think it is such a fantastic, well-written story, and um. Not to say anything about the sequel or prequel or whatever Go Set a Watchman is, but man, do I love it. Well, we, we have said a lot about it, so. <laughs> I know. I wish we wouldn't have. I wish we could go back in time. Uh, yeah, that's it for me. Oh, boy. I, I'm not a huge reader. I feel a little out of my element with you two, but um, I've been doing a lot of uh, reading with oh. my children, and... I just read this book called Wildwood and it's a pretty fun book. I like fun <laughs> books. <laughs> I don't like to think too heavy, but um, it's a book written by Colin Malloy and uh, it's just like a really cool fantasy type book where, you know, it's like reality mixed with fantastical realms and it even takes place in like a real place. Um it's just really, it's a really fun book. Like if you like fantasy and you like adventure, and I would, I would highly recommend it, especially if you have kids, it's fun to read with them. Yeah. I definitely have heard other, um, other people speak well of that book. And, you know, Colin Malloy is somehow spiritually a friend of the podcast. Um, although we do not know him. <laughs> um, I will also say, uh, I, I mentioned earlier, I reread To Kill a Mockingbird in the graphic novel adaptation, um, which is uh, adapted by 
hang on. What is the person's name? Uh, Fred Fordham is the author. And uh, I, I did, I enjoyed the art of that. So if you are looking for like kind of a fresh way to revisit To Kill a Mockingbird and you don't want to commit to reading a whole prose novel, um, you know, check out the graphic novel or listen to um, Bandcamp and let you guys uh, uh, read it, read it for you. <laughs> Be clear after my dramatic reading, Jennifer does the reading. <laughs> That's why I got into that podcast because I am intellectually too lazy to read the book. I would rather have someone else read it to me. <laughs> well, God, God bless podcasts. That's that's <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> All right, um, now it's time for our favorite game, the Rock Paper Snicked, where. You know, of course, this is a well-known party game played at all parties um, all, all the time. Uh, Kate says who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if you were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine from X-Men would be if you were in this book. And Dan and Jennifer can choose which most enhances the book. Or they can choose paper, which is to leave it as is. Um, hmm. I went a little off the rails for this one. If you Oh, that's so interesting. Allow me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, if Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he would actually not be in this book, but he would be before this book, and he would uh, wrestle uh, Harper Lee's agent to take the last remaining copies of this draft <laughs> from them. And then that can't them. be fair. That cannot be allowed in the rules. Yep. No, it is. We make the rules, and that's oh. what would happen. He would burn all the copies. <laughs> you know, Kate, that's so interesting because well. <laughs> If Wolverine were in this book, what would happen is that he would break into um, the the storage box where this book was allegedly found, and he would have shredded it with his claws, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and also prevented it from being published, but um, just slightly differently. <laughs> I think what this means is we have to write a heist book. <laughs> um yeah so so maybe we both cheated or maybe we both just changed the rules of this well-known game just for our purposes so anyway dan and jennifer you can choose rock paper or snicked well i would say we have to i i don't want to speak for jen but i would like to just we should put a lot of soft paper on that version because that should be saved that should have been really what did happen <laughs> Um, Jen, what's, what's your pick for? Um, I'm sorry. My husband <laughs> came in and I, I missed about 30 seconds and I think it was a vital 30 seconds. Oh, you choose what most enhances the book, whether it is Dwayne the Rock Johnson setting the draft on fire, Wolverine shredding it with his claws before it could be published or paper, which is to leave it as is. Oh, then I don't mean paper, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you glad you explained it to me. Um, I'm gonna go with the rock. Yeah, for sure. I think it could be a movie you could direct. That'd be that'd be a fun. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would watch that for sure. <laughs> yeah, but I I really misspoke. I cannot say enough <laughs> that. that 
rock and and or scissors either are better for anything <laughs> anything even a dulled rock or I mean dulled not that a dulled rock a dulled scissors mm-hmm. a rounded <laughs> rock <laughs> <laughs> yeah we could go go skip a rock and that would be enjoyable <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for playing with us. And now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte shares his opinions. Well, yeah, of course, Duarte, like all cats, uh, does find it distasteful that To Kill a Mockingbird does not contain bird hunting (laughs) suggestions. But in terms of this book, actually... um, he he said that Rose Almer seemed like maybe the best character in the book. And I do think um, I agree. Like that cat has manners. She's beautiful. Um, if she's racist, she keeps it to herself. So you know what? <laughs> Unlike certain other cats we've read about. <laughs> I, you know, Duarte, I know you and I don't always agree on... Uh, books or really anything like you looking in my bags or trying to sit on my lap. But in this case, I do agree with you. I do think that perhaps that cat was the best character in the book. <laughs> True. I agree. All right. Well, Duarte, thanks. Thanks for in, um, sharing your opinion. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and now do h- any humans have any closing thoughts about Ghost at a Watchman? I told you, I remember when we first started going back and forth about like scheduling our appearance. It's been going on like for six months, I think. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and it, it was worth it to get to read this book. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember thinking, like you said, well, what about this? You know, what about the the sequel or whatever again you'd call it, you know, To Kill Mockingbird? And I was like, I don't know. I've heard bad things about Atticus and I like Atticus Finch so much and I want to get my next dog. I want to name my next dog Atticus Finch. Like, I really like Atticus and I heard that he's a dick in this new book. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I kind of, I'm happy that I read it, but I'm kind of wish I didn't and I wish this book might not have I don't know I just wish it would exist in some kind of context to where I just like it to be like this is just a book it's not part of the universe the uh you know the scout gem dill universe yeah you wish the rock had heisted this draft away from publication yes Yeah, well, I yeah. think you should name your next, next dog Rose Elmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Taco, Millie, Rose Elmer, you come here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this is a book that over the years people have asked us to read. And I do think this is an act of service journalism that we've done because <laughs> I, I know that people like when it first came out and continue to be like, curious about this book and you know i read it and i still am curious about it but i don't really recommend reading it unless you're like a scholar of harper lee or something and then you already did so (laughs) i'm sure you already have can i ask did you guys did you two um not you dan (laughs) Because we you've you've stated your opinion, but did you guys like um, To Kill a Mockingbird? I liked it when I was a kid, like, um, and I I like it on rereading. I do think that it gets held up a little bit too 
too highly as the sort of like pinnacle of like anti-racist literature, like by and for white people. And I think, you know, I think it's, I think the voice is so strong and like, I really do like Scout as a character, but I do think that to me, it's, it's, it's not like my top 10 favorite books or anything, you know, but I definitely, I definitely liked it way more than this. And I do like it generally with those caveats. I liked it when I read it in high school, but as I said at the top of the show, I haven't really read it or thought about it since then, so I, I don't have any updated opinions. Um, I had to read it. It's weird. I have, like, such strong memories of, like, the version that we read and, like, making notes in the margins and carrying it with me with my books when uh-huh. we were reading it, um, but I had to refresh my memory of the content on Wikipedia. <laughs> she would it's, you guys are, totally. are awesome because like you truly love books and you read books and like jen and i really like she said we're not like super huge <laughs> readers and it's funny that we're doing this banned book podcast but <laughs> what's weird about it is that like we truly we never read any of the books i mean like it, i'm sure we were both forced to read to kill a mockingbird and somehow neither of us read it so every book we read is truly we're reading it for the first time and it, it's fun like like listening to like how you guys talk about books because you are just like you know books you're so into it and we're just two kind of goofballs who just want to like why is this book banned this seems like a fun one you know it's just mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I love being on the show though. It was really fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks for joining us. And again, I I I do think that one should consider this separately from from To Kill a Mockingbird and or and perhaps, you know, I, I don't think you should let it ruin the first book for you. Like I really think we should think of this as something that uh wasn't maybe meant to it is not be- unsimilar to my love of ted nugent music but i just <laughs> don't care for the man anymore <laughs> he's joking <laughs> that's like his music either it turns out <laughs> um but you know i mean one thing we can all agree on is that we should not be banning books in this in this country or any country and like you know, we should celebrate our freedom to read. You can read whatever you want. Even if we didn't like it as a podcast, you can still read it and make your own opinion. And that's, that's what's yeah. all about. We- yeah. Let's try not to be afraid of ideas and words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's not be afraid of ideas is a great closing thought. And, um, you know, if they're really scary ideas like the boogeyman or something or like a toaster making too loud of a noise and you get startled, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay to be afraid of those ideas, but you shouldn't inflict your belief about them onto other people and make them not experience them. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I'm best friends with the boogeyman. (laughs) Some of my best friends are boogeyman. (laughs) I'm less scared of the boogeyman than the toaster thing, to be honest. Uh, all right well if you would like to come on social media and tell us what things you're afraid of i guess 
if they're don't t- don't tell me if they're too scary because I'll get scared too. But you know, um, we're on Facebook and Instagram at Worst Bestsellers spelled normally. We are maybe at this time still on Twitter, perhaps at Worst Bestseller with no S because the S was in the first draft. But then you know our editor was like, "You should get rid of that." And we're like, "You know what? You're so right." And we've we've just you know had much more success without the S there. Right now, your name is a classic. It's like a true podcast classic. Before, mm, little iffy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can find us uh, anywhere podcasts are presented. Uh, you know where those places are because you're listening to this podcast right now. So just keep doing that to find it. Whoa. Again, Whoa. <laughs> when you do find us on one of those platforms, please take a moment to rate and review. If you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review, we are going to break into your house, find your old journals and publish them against your will. And no. that's not going to be fun for anyone. No. We also have a Patreon available at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you offer a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like keep our website up and keep our uh, equipment up to date. And in return, there are little perks for you like postcards and stickers in the mail and a monthly bonus episode and the chance to vote on uh, one book that we will cover on an episode each year. Um, yeah, so the poll should be up by the time this episode is out so that you can vote on which one you would like us to uh, cover later this year. Uh, you can also find uh, Worst Bestsellers merch if you go to worstbestsellers.com and click on the merch button where there's all sorts of designs from our podcast to wear on your body. And finally, we do have a Discord server for fans of the show, which is also linked to on worstbestsellers.com where you can join in on the fun and talk about episodes, what books you're reading, what your pets are up to, and uh, mourn the loss of Riverdale. I need to come up with a new joke now that Riverdale is over. I mean, here's the thing. I'll be I'll be wearing a black armband for Riverdale till I die, baby. <laughs> anyway, if if you want to come follow me personally and also Duarte, um, I'm on most social media at Renata Snacks. And if you want to follow me personally on the internet, I am on Blue Sky and Instagram at fourteen across. And Jen and Dan, where can folks find your podcast and you folks? Uh, you can find us wherever you find podcast. Uh, it's Bandcamp, and that's band with two ends. Just in case you guys thought we were going to talk about flutes or piccolos or whatever, it's wordplay, it baby. That's right. That's right. Always try to be clever. That's what we say. But it turns out nobody searches for Bandcamp, which is why you guys have way more <laughs> listeners than we do. <laughs> but yeah, just find us wherever podcast can be found. Bandcamp. To ends. Yep, he said it all. It's all good. All right. Well, yeah, check that out, especially, you know, now during uh, Banned Books Week. But, you know, all, again, all the time, think think your thoughts, have, have free opinions, and celebrate your freedom to read, babies. Um, and we will be back in two weeks celebrating our freedom to read Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman. Hooray. Yay. For spooky uh, season. Yay. Uh, All right. So uh, Dan and Jen, thanks again for joining us. And thanks to listeners for listening. And goodbye. Bye. 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 See ya.
Okay, we when we say we have a, a pet friendly podcast, like Duarte so far has been weirdly quiet. Normally he starts Oops. That was, that was my phone. It went off. Oh, I not thought a the cat was playing big band music or something. Yes. 